Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters Podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, welcome back and welcome to, we now have a title for when Katie and I speak. It is Hire the Smile, uh, discussions about human resources and veterinary practices. And we came up with the name Hire the Smile because, you know, when we do our presentations, we talk to people or introduce our whole HR program. That's the one slide that really gets everybody kind of like, wow, is, you know, don't hire for technical abilities, hire for the attitude. And that's actually going to segue really well to what we're talking about today. But hi, Katie, how you doing? Oh, just dandy. How are you, Mike? Doing very, very well. I woke up this morning. It's a Thursday. I thought it was Friday. And oh. uh, usually I'm excited for days, but we've been getting brutal heat and it's just been really intense days lately. And I was really hoping today was Friday, but mm. we move on. In your heart, it can be Friday. <laughs> exactly. So what's new and exciting with you in the HR world? Uh, I mean, everything. I'm working on putting together a performance review program for one of our Oculus clients, which is my favorite thing to do. So it's energizing and I'm in air conditioning, so I can just look at the heat. Yeah. And so why do you like doing those so much? A lot of the time, the practices we work with have had no performance review system. So putting something in place in general for the staff is great. But I think For me, the most rewarding part of HR is helping people develop. And this is kind of like step one is putting together these kind of bigger annual reviews that spin off into goals and ongoing performance discussion. So, yeah, so it's great. I'm just working on the back end now, putting everything into the software that we uh, tend to like to use for this. So, yeah, it's good times. Yeah, we should maybe talk about that at one of our podcasts because I think, you know, usually people do hate performance reviews, but mm-hmm. uh, one of the things we have found with ours is that after time, people are like, you know what, this actually works and I don't hate it so much and it actually makes sense. Yeah, it turns into like a celebration of what you've done. If you do the work throughout the year of having the conversations with people and talking about development, then the review is kind of just like the cherry on top. At least that's how I feel. <laughs> no, I agree. And it's not like, you know, hey, we're going to scold you for the next hour. It's more of like, let's talk about how great you are for the next hour. Definitely. Yeah. How much value you add for the practice and who doesn't like that? Nobody. So let's, what we are always going to do, there's a couple of articles that we have both looked at. We want to talk about, it just happened to be that both of ours are about hiring, the hiring process. Mm -hmm. And then of course, at the end, we'll do our wins and fails when it comes to people management and just general HR in the world. So you read an interesting article. Uh, Maybe you can tell everybody about it. Yeah, so the article I read was from a, uh, an outlet called FS. Farnham Street, really good blogs, really deep dive analytical blogs or thought pieces on a subject. Definitely a thinking piece for sure. Um, so this article is titled uh, Job Interviews Don't Work. Uh, which is a provocative type title for an HR person. But the article is really good. You know, it talks a lot about how uh, the first part of the article talks about bias and the bias that we tend to show when we're hiring people, when we're um, evaluating who we want to hire. So uh, I thought it was a good kind of intro to uh, the article that you picked. But it talks about how 
if we're not really rigorous and repeatable, I don't, that's maybe not the right context, but if we're not consistent in how we interview people uh, for the same job, then it can be really difficult to actually pick the right person. And, and different types of bias can really color how we're looking at people and how we make decisions. Yeah, I thought it was it was quite interesting. You know, and I was kind of thinking back to the, you know, dozens, hundreds of interviews that I've done over the years and thinking about how, you know, how we've kind of honed things from kind of that attitude of let's just get this over with to let's actually find the right person and and find the right fit for the company. You know, talking about the different types of bias, uh, you know, the unconscious biases that we have, you know, when we're, we're talking to people, you know, and the article talks about a few of them. So um, examples of the unconscious biases are things like uh, rating attractive people or, or assuming that attractive people are more competent, intelligent, qualified. Uh, another one is considering that tall people are better leaders. Hello. No. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then viewing people with deep voices as more trustworthy. Again, hello. Yeah, right. So uh, you should start talking a little higher. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's it talks a lot about how, and this is um, implicit bias. So, you know, if, if you meet somebody for the first time and they come in and, you know, I'm a people pleaser, HR is usually people pleaser type profession. So if somebody comes in and they seem, you know, less confident to you for whatever, you know, unconscious bias it is that's coloring what you're what you're thinking about you might say oh i'm going to go easy on this person i'm going to send them i'm going to lob them some softball questions so that they don't get kind of the same rigorous uh, evaluation that everybody else does so you know i i thought that was really interesting and it did make me think about how we you know how we go through and how we even you know look at people's social media beforehand to see if we can glean anything from their social media as to what kind of employee they're going to be, which, as you say it out loud, seems kind of ridiculous to say. Uh, <laughs> but it's definitely something that we've done. Have you done that before? Oh, totally. I've gotten really good at checking people out, LinkedIn, uh, social media. And again, it doesn't really tell you very much. Um, and I've actually, over the years, I've stopped doing it because mm-hmm. it, it really doesn't help. And it does what it does. And when I was reading this article, I was like, oh, yeah, busted. It yeah. frames in your mind what you think the person is already. And you haven't even given them a chance. You know, you haven't even spoken to them. And you've already made an assumption. Yeah, I think social media is like a really bad reference. Yeah, <laughs> job reference. You know, and yeah, and so everybody says, well, you can go on social media and you can see, you know, the crazy things they do. And I'm like, yeah, if social media was around when I was 20, 21, 25, capturing some of the stupid things I've done, I mean, I would never have gotten anywhere. So, I mean, let's leave that into we do stupid things sometimes, and sometimes it's recorded. Yeah. And the, the article kind of, I mean, doesn't talk about that specifically, but um, I guess that's an example of this fundamental attribution error. So, you know, we believe that if we see somebody doing, you know, questionable things on social media, then they're going to do questionable things at work. And that's just not true. No. But that's a, a great example of, of the type of bias that can creep into hiring decisions. One of the things I liked about the one line I highlighted or one area was like, Hiring often comes down to how much an interviewer just likes the candidate as a person. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh boy, that is so true. And I know <laughs> we'll talk about this later in our own practice and how we do hiring as, as part of the teamwork. But some of the best people we have working for us now had the worst interviews with me. 
And yeah. the only reason why they're with us is because, you know, when we did working interviews, the team said, no, no, they're amazing. You got to keep them. But yeah, we do. And that is, that is tough is that, you know, if they're not just like me, we don't like them. That's, that's a fundamental bias. And I've, I, we're in the process of interviewing quite a lot right now for two vet positions at my own practice. And I have to be, you know, these, are, these, these two articles we were talking about have been really good reminders <laughs> about bias. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much, uh, there's so much noise and they talk about noise in interviewing and those, those types of biases, you know, thinking like I've seen their social media, you know, how tall are they? Did they have a firm handshake? None of that really translates to how they're going to do in the job. And I mean, the job interview is such a stressful manufactured environment coming into an interview with you. I can see people could be intimidated because you're tall, you have a deep voice, you're the name on the sign. So people, you might not get the best of somebody because they're nervous. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, it's interesting because we're doing interviews with Zoom right now because of social distancing, and it, it, that's got a plus and a minus. Plus is it's interesting to see how they adapt to technology, how they present themselves. Uh, the minus is sometimes be with bandwidth limitations or just um, this is a new thing. It's sometimes people are very awkward, and it makes the interviewing process a little bit different. One of the things, just what we were talking about in terms of that, we have that one detail that we use to decide if we're going to hire that, you know, gut feelings are not accurate. And I've been in conversations with colleagues and like, I knew right away when I looked at this person that they're the right one or, you know, firm handshake or look me in the eye. They're good people. I'm like, that's part of the job. It's not all of mm-hmm. the job, you know? So I think when we're hiring somebody to our job, it's, you know, we're courting each other to a certain degree. I think. Definitely. And, you know, I can remember many years ago, much younger, you know, being at a bar, going outside, I see a woman across the room, I look at her and go, oh my God, that'd be amazing just by the look. Yeah. And then we'd have a conversation of five minutes later, like, no. And so these first glances, I think are really deceptive and, and we, we can get into a real bad rabbit hole uh, and, and not get good quality people just depending on that. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, it can be overwhelming to, to interview and have all these people, but I mean, the overwhelming part is later when you hire the wrong person and the impact yes. that it has on the team and on you and at the expense and all that stuff. So 100%. as painful as it can be, it's really worth it to put something together that's a lot more structured and relevant. I'm not sure which one of the articles, what they talked about is that when we're interviewing and hiring people, the feedback mechanism is really slow. Is we mm-hmm. may not get an assessment of how good this person is for months, even years later. Uh, and it's not like you can just instantly know if I drop something heavy on my foot, it hurts. This takes Definitely. a long time. And so then it's a hard time to go, well, is our system accurate? What were the factors that prevented us from hiring a better candidate? And we have no idea that the person that we didn't hire or the people we didn't hire could have done a better job too. So it's really, uh, there's a lot of grayness. And so this is why I like with the, both of them is like creating a structure because of the structure, you can go back and review and see what's worked or not. Definitely. Yeah. And you get away from that kind of desperation hire where you're just like, I need a body and they made eye contact. So they're good enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's not good enough necessarily. Exactly. What did you think about that section about Because we were just talking about how many interviews you've done. And that said, experience does not equal expertise in interviewing. 
Yeah, I think that's true. You know, I think that even if you're experienced, it's almost like you're more biased because you know what works for you um, and you know what you like. So it's almost like um, you get stuck in, in a rut of hiring the same type of person or you're, you just have those biases that are so ingrained because you know what, what works for you in the position. So uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Well, the, the example they give in this article, and this is for anybody who's applied for vet school and didn't get in the first time. And <laughs> we both know two people that should have been accepted into vet school because they're going to make exceptional veterinarians. Yeah. And they didn't get in this first time. And the study is, is that medical school needed to increase the amount of students by 50 just because they needed larger classes. And when they went back and analyzed it, everything They went back and looked at the people that were, they considered unsuitable for admission. And what they basically came down, the conclusion is, is that interviewing students did nothing to help select for the highest performers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I thought that was very interesting because boy, we all know who have been through vet school and any other program that anybody has been into that hasn't gotten into it is, you know, just because you've been interviewed doesn't mean you're the best person for them. Well, definitely. And I mean, some people are good at interviews, right? I mean, 100%. you can lie in an interview. So, <laughs> well, it also comes down to is, you know, we're talking about interviewing and expertise and our bias and like attracts like. And so you have a, a cohort of population in vet schools who are interviewing students, for example, and they like people like them. And so they're mm-hmm. going to accept people like them, which maybe if they're professors or researchers, they're probably phenomenally academically gifted. And so their bias will be towards that. Yes. As opposed to somebody who may be struggling a bit with their marks, but might just be the best diagnostician, best uh, people person, you know, just. Yeah. So I read that. I was like, ha, huh, I knew that. Mm-hmm. But now you proved it to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a really interesting part for sure. So they talk about how to make interviews more effective. What uh, jumped out at you for that? What jumped out is uh, that this is what we try to do. So um, they talk about making interviews more structured so that you have a repeatable selection of questions that you ask your candidates. uh, And then you have a rating system for how you measure how they reply. And they don't really get into the types of questions necessarily, but it's really important to have that predefined series of questions Uh, And they talk as well about making sure that those questions are actually linked to the personality traits that you're looking for, the relevant uh, value sharing that you might have with that person. So, you know, if if your core values and what you need to to succeed at the practice is being somebody who is very self-aware, then you can tailor questions to ask uh, to really get, drill down and make sure that that person is is self-aware and is somebody that's going to fit into your culture. So I'm 100%. I totally agree. Structured interviews are the way to go. Yeah. I mean, the, the opposite is just kind of having a, a casual conversation with somebody, which is nice to see if you want to like go and have a beer with that person later mm-hmm. as buddies. But <laughs> that's not necessarily a great way to uh, determine whether this is somebody who's going to succeed at your company. 100%. 100%. You know, I, I thought of that too, just because one of the things that we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the next article is just we're ha- often hiring different, re- really different skill sets and different types of, pr- of desired, let's say, personality traits. So, you know, one of the things that we have realized when we d- deal with receptionists in the past, we always thought, oh, we want them to be really empathetic, you know, to the client. And well, really what we want are problem solvers. It's one thing to say, oh, I feel for you as opposed to, you know what? We're going to make that right now. Give me five minutes. But yeah, 
Now, the client's much happier hearing that. The same thing when we're talking about vets, you know, it's one thing, you know, they talk about in this article, competency-related evaluations. Hard to measure how good a vet is. You're hiring a vet, for example. Well, they've, you know, they've graduated vet school. That's that's a big hurdle they had to do. Mm-hmm. Here in North America, they they've passed their NAVLI, uh, the licensing exam. So that's another big hurdle. So you know, you have to assume the competency is there. Now, for sure, they need help with confidence and and refining their technique. But some of the things I find the hardest to interview for for vets is resiliency or how are you going to yeah. do when uh, you have upset clients or working under pressure or because uh, through vet school, it's very science-based. So pretty well, as you've been going through it, you've been trained to be black or white. If you make this input, you know right away if it's right or not. You can't get through making uh, models in organic chemistry unless it's right. And then you find out in vet medicine that it's all about dealing with people and you're never sure all the time that it's going to be black or white. It's often we work in gray areas and boy, how do we, how do we measure that? So I think in the next article, there's some interesting techniques that I'm actually very keen to try. Yeah. Do you want to shift over to uh, the article that you picked? Yeah. So thanks. This was a really neat one. It's from Harvard Business Review. It just came out uh, a couple of days ago. And it's called How to Design a Better Hiring Process. And this is in the newsletter that's coming out about the same time as as this podcast. Hmm. And, you know, basically how they said is that the standard interview is in its true. It's just a tradition of how we do things. And it's just often very unreliable. And we really, we don't often step back and go, how can we make this more scientific, more uh quantifiable uh, of how we're doing things. And so this uh, this person is talking about their team and what they did because they really realized that, you know, hiring is expensive process. It takes a long time. You're investing a lot. And as we said earlier, it often takes months before you figure out if you've hired the right person. So right. how do you do better upfront? And I know one of the things that when we talk to groups and we present or work with our clients is, and they're talking about bad employees or, you know, when we talk about in Canada, or in Europe, the hoops that we have to go through to get rid of a person, to lay somebody off, or even just fire them because of poor work performance, it's an effort. And so, you know, it's like anything is, well, if you can hire the right people first, the odds of you having to deal down into having to get rid of people later is a lot, you know, a lot less. So let's do a great job in hiring. So that's why I'm really, really loving this concept. So they really have about a four, uh, a three or four part uh process. The first one is just basic questions. What I thought was fantastic about this is um, one, they have questions for each job type because you want to have, as we just talked about, specific characteristics for that job. Mm-hmm. What I like, I mean, this this one has, they do a long interview, like several steps in it, but prior to their interviews, they share the questions they're going to be asking with the candidates. And I had never thought of that before. And I was like, that is brilliant. Just because as we go through this, you can see by their preparation or their attention to preparation is, is going to tell you a lot about what they're doing too. So, you know, when they do their first questions is, you know, what do you know about the company? So at least somebody should have done a Google search. And, yeah. you know, as we've been interviewing right now, I'm actually surprised how little people will have done that. Yeah. Or in the past is like, what do you know about the company? Just like, I don't know anything about it. I've had people say, I don't know anything about it. Right. And you're like, super impression. Can we just have that hole in the floor and you just go down and we just start? <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. 
then, you know, they, they want to test for critical thinking and tech savviness. And I guess they're probably an engineering or a software company. But, you know, critical thinking, I think, is huge for any role. So a lot of that open-ended questions. This one I thought was brilliant. They want to test for listening and communication skills. And as we said, you know, vet medicine is nothing but a people business. Communication is essential. We do a lot of our employee engagement surveys. The lack of communication or poor communication in a practice is often one of the biggest problems people face. So what they do, they want to measure a candidate's ability to communicate effectively. So what they say, and they tell them this in advance, teach us about one of your passions, something that you know a lot about or consider yourself to be an expert in and teach us as if we know nothing about it. I'm like, mm-hmm. That's, you know, what better opportunity to explain to a client about, an, you know, a detailed medical procedure to see how they're going to come across with that. I'm like, okay, check. I love this. And, you know, one of the, some of these open-ended in communication is that they, you know, they let the candidates pick the topic of discussions themselves as opposed to thrusting ideas upon them. And maybe they know nothing about it. And again, it's like, mm-hmm. that's, again, you know, by letting them have some ownership into the interview process, we're seeing, you know, do they rise to the occasion? Are they critical thinkers? So, yeah, really, really thought that was cool. I thought that was really interesting for sure. Um, you know, like sometimes you'll ask candidates, you know, what do you do for fun? And they might say, oh, water skiing. And it's like, okay, well, they they came up with an answer, but having them, you know, teach you about how to make it happen. Uh, full disclosure, I've never been able to stand up on water skis in my life. So if anyone has tips, Same. let me know. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, if they were explaining to you how you do it or how they learned or, you know, their, you know, their experiences, then you really get to see them. You take them out of that position of being behind the eight ball as far as answering questions and being surprised. Uh, you know, I, really, I do really like this idea of not having the entire interview be a, like a huge surprise where you're just pulling questions out of hats and that they never really get a chance to to show their enthusiasm or their knowledge or how they can describe their knowledge to somebody. So yeah, it's great. And then again, they talk about, you know, part two is technical skills. And again, you know, I think for the non-vets, I think that this could be important, but a lot of the roles that we have, you know, if we, unless they have a license LVT, again, like a vet, they've gone through a certification program. They, they have a basic level of knowledge. So maybe this is Mm -hmm. different from our receptionists. So I look at this and again, boy, this is where it ties into that. How do they deal with things? And maybe this is probably, you know, do we create scenarios and give them some time to work through a scenario of an upset client or a case that doesn't go well to see how they would respond to that? Yeah. So as you say that, though, it pops into my head. We talked about the title of our podcast being Hire the Smile and how you want to hire the personality and you can train the skills. So I would just be a bit wary of, you know, if somebody isn't used to the way that Mickey Pownell does customer service, then are you expecting them to respond in a manner that, you know, they have no background on? So I think that you have to be a bit careful there. And, you know, you can't expect people to know exactly how you do things or exactly how you want things to be done. No, I think that's fair. But I think maybe in terms of, you know, we do a lot of our interview questions based on our values Mm -hmm. and the values of the practices that we work with, because we want people with shared values. And again, these may be scenarios, what if scenarios, as opposed to tell me a story about something you did before. And I know as you're telling me, you're embellishing it to make you look the best because that's just human nature. But, you know, here are some what if scenarios. Think about it and then we'll have a discussion about it. Yeah. They're like beefed up situational. Type yeah. Interviews. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So again, you send those in advance so they have time to think about it and, and come back. Uh, the other area they talk about, and it's in, uh, this is a, you know so obvious. You're like, duh, why didn't I think about this before? Writing samples, mm. and you know, in terms of how well people write and communicate. And I was thinking as I was reading this, you know, this could be an example of when you're hiring a vet because some vets we're, we're talking about medical records. Let's say, for example, yeah. some vets are so cursory, uh, and that's just the, what they've gotten used to or where they have worked has accepted and others write novels every time. So boy, it'd be a great example to say, you know, send me some examples of your favorite, uh, medical records, you know, anonymize it, of course, but I think that would give us some clues in terms of how they communicate. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Definitely. Yeah. And then the last one, which I thought was really interesting because, you know, we want to know how people work with the team. So we, you know, we invite people in to have a working interview and that's really hit or miss. And because I find with the working interview and I've seen this uh, in other practices is not everybody is prepared. So, you know, you bring somebody, okay, you're going to come in for a tech position or a register tech position and you're going to spend day with the team. And well, not everybody is going to, you know, it may be a busy day. And so they're not going to have the time to ask you questions or to help have you chip in. So a lot of the times the person's coming for a working interview and they're basically their hands are in their pocket watching what's going on as a bystander. And we haven't really had that interaction to say, hey, will you be a good fit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, something as simple as uh, for a technician position, like how do they handle a horse if it's an equine clinic? You know, it's pretty important, but it's not necessarily something you're like, oh yeah, we should probably evaluate that. But what they recommend and what they do in this is to how do they figure out how people work with each other is, and I'm going to quote this and you're going to sit there going, are you crazy? But then stop and think about it for a second. And you're like, this makes really good sense. So they said in the, when we have in-office interviews, part of the working interviews, they design peer interactions around board games uh, that uh, challenge players to work towards a goal, as opposed to games that pit players against one another in a zero-sum scenario. And virtually, they do the same thing so people can play online or something like that. And so the goal of that is uh, twofold, learn how the candidates interact with team members and to show them that this could be a fun place to work with. And I, I sat back at first, I'm like, games, come on. I'm like, boy, that makes sense. Like, I don't, I don't play board games. I would need some help. And what would be a good game that people could play towards a goal? But, and, and I just think of, I can just imagine going to some of our staff. Okay, we're interviewing this person. I've booked us from one till four to go play Monopoly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And what did you think about that? I think that's a really good idea because so often, like you said, the day is very busy and the person sort of sits there and they observe and they don't get a lot of chance to interact. I guess the flip side is in a busy practice is making sure that you dedicate, you understand the importance and that you dedicate the time and the resources to doing this. So no, I think it's a wonderful idea though. And I think that's where you just brought up a really good point because I think this is where hiring goes wrong and none of these articles have dealt with it. But I know something that you and I have seen time and time again at practices that we work with is that hiring becomes a rush and it's, I need to find a body. Can you pick up a phone and answer it? You're hired. Do you have a DVM degree? You're hired. And they haven't really looked at these other characteristics, cultural fit, um, resiliency, other aspects, team fit and all that. And then about six months later, people are like, oh, boy, we hired a dud. 
but it's always this, we're got to put out a fire. So we're going to yeah. grab whoever's around to help us as opposed to, all right, this is, it may take us longer and boy team, we're going to be struggling a little bit. But I also think that if you're hiring well, you're going to have less turnover. So you're going to have less of those situations where you're like, oh, yeah, we're short for a while. Because my, it hit me one day. I said, my theory is, is that when you're hiring the right person, it takes the same amount of time whether you hire quickly or it takes forever and you really research it. Because the typical scenario is I need a body. We hire him. Three to four months later, we're like, oh, this isn't going to work out. So before the probation period is over, we get rid of them. Or they're not the right fit, causes stress in the office, somebody else leaves, and so you got to hire for that position as opposed to just saying, all right, we're going to take three to four months now, two months, whatever it takes, hire the right person, lower the odds that this person's not the right one for us. We're never, ever going to be absolutely correct. Right. And you know that person will be with you a long time and everybody will be happier and you have a better team. And so the time takes the same. You just, you know, you just have to have the patience and do it right. Yeah, it's just on the front end versus on the back end, for sure. Exactly, for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. So anyway, I, th- I thought both these articles were great. Uh, we'll post them in the uh, in the uh, podcast notes if you want to look at them yourselves. Any other last words on these? Anything that you're like, I want to try this? Uh, the one thing that you didn't actually mention from the HBR article was, um, and I don't know how, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but talking about how um, if you do a working type interview where the candidate mingles with staff, uh, you don't allow the staff to talk about the candidate until after they've submitted like a written type report or they've given you their feedback so that they can't influence each other and how they feel about the candidate. And I, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about different teams that I've worked with where, you know, they definitely always like somebody who's similar to them uh, and how they do talk about it and give you the feedback as a group. So, you know, somebody might, somebody who is different might not feel like they have the confidence to say, actually, I think this person would be a good fit, Uh, you know, or, but I thought that was it. Do you have any thoughts about that, about not letting people talk about the candidate? Boy, that's, I was going to bring that up too. That makes sense because you, I worry about groupthink and groupthink certainly is a factor and, and that's one of the bigger biases. And so if you have a dominant personality that's like, I love her him the others are going to go i bet i guess i better too yes they may yeah but yeah and and then what happens is so what if that one person who you know if you if everybody discussed it and then the one person who was really vocal they didn't like it and you ended up hiring him anyhow well i think it sort of marginalizes that person's opinion and i think they'll be less willing to speak up the next time yeah that's true definitely yeah, that might be something to consider too. So, you know, what basically from both of these things is that, you know, we think we take a long time with interview process. This is going to add. Oh, we could take longer. <laughs> it's going to take much longer. But I think that's okay because, as I said, you know, you know, we've, we have the luxury. We're interviewing some great people and hopefully they're going to work out right. But there's a lot of risk and a lot of what we can do. And, you know, one of the things we're always talking about and with our clients is how do we de-risk situations? Definitely. And I think this is a really good one. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to our wins and fails in the world of people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have anything interesting? (laughs) Uh, so my fail is a funny fail. There's this politician in a small town of Spain who was on like a zoom chat council meeting with his fellow council members. And I guess this gig is like a part-time thing for him. And he had other stuff he had to do. 
and the meeting was going on and on. And, uh, he, he needed to take a shower. So he took his computer with him into the bathroom and thought that the camera was off, <laughs> but it wasn't. <laughs> so everybody right. else could see what he was doing. And it's like the full on him showering and the council people. Were- it was just sound. It was like video. Everything. Yeah. 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 It was the video. Like he thought it, he would just be able to hear, but the video kept going. So all the council members were like, we need to contact him. How can we get rid of it? So I guess the mayor eventually ended the call. Uh, for everybody, but you can see some stills. I mean, obviously it's nothing explicit, but if you Google, you know, politician live streams his shower for city meeting, you can see the looks on the faces of the other people is pretty funny. So it's a fail, but it's also, I think, a funny fail. And the guy even, you know, he released a, a thing and he said, well, I'm not embarrassed. I'm a swim coach. People see my body all the time. And if the council wants to fire me, that's fine. I'll, uh, I'll accept it, but I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> so funny. That that is pretty funny. That that's really funny, actually. Oh yeah. boy. Yeah. Well, my uh, I have a bit of a more ominous fail, yeah. and that is my fail is society. Who um, we have it in Canada. We hear more about it in the states, but there's been a few episodes in Canada are just people that go to restaurants or stores and berate employees because they have to wear a mask. Oh yeah, and. That to me is just like people. I mean, whether you think you sh- people should be wearing masks or not, you're going somewhere where this is what they're asking you to do on private property. So exactly, and the people that you're meeting, the re- the cashier or the Walmart greeter or whoever, had no influence whatsoever on the decision. They're just like you, trying to make a living and survive life right now. And when people lose it on them, I just like I, I can't take it. Yeah, that- that's my that's my fail. Yeah. That's pretty bad. What's your win? Uh, So my win is, it's not necessarily HR related, but it's sort of student related. So uh, there was this group of students in Leeds, England, who had rented an apartment for three years, like a student apartment. And basically they were at the end of their term and the, uh, the landlord, you know, they'd been really good tenants. So they got their security deposit back. Uh, but then he actually gave them uh, a 20% bonus on that security deposit because they've been such good uh, tenants for that whole time. So I think that's pretty nice. nice. You know, like um, you hear so much about bad tenants and bad landlords and students. And I, I lived in a student, uh, a student area near McMaster University in Hamilton for a couple of years. And it was like a mixed bag. Uh, there's always something going on, but the houses that were student houses, you know, you look at them and you're like, ew, that's not uh, kept up very well. But, you know, this is a, a flip side of that where the, the landlord was thankful to have such good tenants. So it's not necessarily HR related, but uh, I guess it involved humans. So it's close no, enough. Just, <laughs> yeah, it's like a lot of what HR is, is treating people well, mm-hmm. being kind to each other. My win is a flip of my other ones are those businesses that are really going above and beyond to protect their employees, not just by offering PPP, but, you know, social distancing, but standing up for them when they do get abused. And I, I was reading uh, of a couple of restaurants who had opened up and they said, we're going to keep shutting down until this is over. It's killing us economically, but there's no way we should put our employees into this kind of harm's way from the abuse they get from others. Mm. Again, I was like, 
yeah, I, I, that's a big decision. I, I, I'm looking at it myself. I'm like, this, this is tough. And it's just, you know, it's that mentality of, of, uh, of, you know, vet practice owners, you know, firing those clients that come in and just, you know, scream and yell and yep. freak out at everybody. And most of us put up with it because, you know, often they're, they have a lot of money or they're frequent clients, but it's when you just say, nope, you need to leave our business. Yes. So, yeah, protecting our staff, not just from our pets, the animals we deal with, but the people that come with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, hey, that was fun again. Um, we'll be back in a couple of more weeks. If anybody has some questions about HR or any people management issues in their own business, please contact us at info at Oculus Insights or on our Facebook page or Instagram page, and we'll be happy to answer them next time. Thanks a lot, Katie. I look forward to seeing you sometime in the near future. Um, We've just been uh, slacking and and Zooming, so one day we'll be able to say hey and uh, have a drink across from each other. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.